Welcome back as we continue to do a deep dive in this special Change Cultivators series on the topic of gender bias in the workplace and specifically the impact it has on work teams during maybe times of organizational change and dynamics and disruptions. We're digging into this topic in a series of chats with a group of women executives who call themselves the Band of Sisters. And they have a book coming out on the topic, which you all should read, which is coming out in September, which is titled, You Should Smile More, How to Dismantle Gender Bias in the Workplace. I am so happy to be back with my co-host, Roz. Roz, what is maybe, we had a couple of these small group conversations with the sisters. What is one interesting thing you may have noted from our last chat with the uh, other half of the Band of Sisters? <laughs> yes, it's great to be back and good to have everyone in the studio with us. Um, yeah, we had a really wonderful conversation with the, with the other half. And I think one of the things that stood out for me in that conversation was just the power of open communication. So as we go into this topic of, of gender bias in the workplace, you know, as women, we feel Am I the only one feeling that? So I think what we're starting to unpack in the book and the conversation is, as women, you're not alone. Other women feel what you're feeling. But then also, as you start to talk to men about some of the uncomfortable or the moments, as the band of sisters would talk about, you also realize they have some discomforts as well that they don't know how to handle. So I just think the power of open conversation between women and between men and women really almost makes you smile and go, you know, there's moments where you go, actually, that might have been a misinterpretation or let's help each other through these things because, you know, either side maybe doesn't really realize they're doing something. Um, and that's why I think conversations like this are so important. Awesome. It's such a great observation, Roz. Uh, in this particular episode, and if you haven't listened to the two prior ones, you should. So feel free to go hunt down the two prior podcasts where we had in group one, all six of the Band of Sisters. Uh, in, in our second group, we had the uh, one, one group of three. And here we have three of the powerful sisters with us. We have Mitzi Short, Angelique Belma-Krems, and Dawn Hudson, all of whom have been remarkably accomplished in their own rights and their careers. And we're delighted to have them. Welcome. 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 Awesome. So welcome to the show. We're really excited to have you. We're going to kind of dig in a little bit and talk about why you guys wrote the book, how you structured the book, et cetera. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I will say publicly, since we talked about it before, the other half of sisters said they're there's, their conversation with us was really, really good and probably better. So the bar is high for this conversation with us. So thank you for joining us and let's kick some butt and take on the challenge. We got it. Good. So ladies, with uh, our previous um, episode, we spoke about the topic of moments. So the way you've written the book was around moments that speak to gender bias. Um, tell us a little bit around why you decided to focus on specific small moments in the book versus, you know, diving really in, in, in at the macro level. I think the good news is that many, many companies are really thinking about the macro level of how do they grow their diversity and, and really starting to work on culture. But sometimes they're working on their culture and their sense of inclusion episodically throughout the year based on, you know, big, you know, group meetings or a big event. And when, in fact, sometimes these little things every day, these little moments, any one of which nobody's going to feel good about speaking up about but in aggregate, they create an environment where you don't really feel comfortable. Many women don't. And it doesn't feel like you can bring your true self to the workplace, which creates discomfort for people, men and women, as you point out, Roz. 
and can lead to people becoming dis disaffected and not feeling part of the organization. And in the end, for leaders, that creates problems when people leave when they don't feel welcome. So I guess in talking as a group, it was these little moments and how they add up that we didn't feel people were talking about. We felt a lot of people were talking about, there's certainly the Me Too moments and people are talking about big uh, uh, inclusion efforts and, and once a year, a big culture survey. But if we could empower people in the work price and give them help in those little moments and educate men along the way and let them help as well, then people could in effect help improve the culture on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. And as operators and marketers, we really had to come at it from a, what's, what's going to be incremental to this conversation? Where can we add value? Where can we bring light to something that is not talked about a lot? And as we shared our stories with each other about our experiences, we said, it's these little stories that really can add up and make a difference and not enough people are talking about it. And so it starts out with us just collecting our own stories, but then our process was to go out and talk to others and validate that this is still happening with younger generation and do research and understand you know, what's behind uh, some of this. So we really put our operator and marketer experience to work to say, how can we move this conversation forward? Mm. I love that. And so today we're going to focus on three of the moments that, that you speak about in the book. And there, there's many. And I think the important thing here is, and I said this in the beginning, they're little moments that in isolation you think, is it just me? Am I you know, being overly critical here? But actually when they start, the little things become patterns and then that's when they become you know, bothersome for, for, for an individual. So today we're gonna, we've pulled out three of the moments which are structured as chapters in your book. Um, and they are, I'm sorry for apologizing, great idea, Greg, and not just mentors, get sponsors. So these look at moments that women find themselves in, but also, you know, one of the chapters is really how you as a woman can actually, you know, get your hands around this and proactively, you know, work through some of these things. So um, I'm going to start with, I'm sorry for apologizing. Um, and Mitzi, I'm going to, I'm going to kick that off with you. Do you have any personal story around, you know, that particular type of moment that led you ladies to put it in as a, as a chapter in the book? Why was this such a, a, a critical um, pain point that you felt actually this needs to be a chapter. Yeah, so it's, you know, like, why are you sorry for apologizing? Why are you sorry? Why are you apologizing? So, you know, this moment is about not, not telling women that they have to fix everything or need to fix everything, but recognizing that there are some times when we use language as women that sets us back. So this notion about apologizing less and kind of cleaning up the qualifying language. And an example of that would be, you know, an email sometimes I used to write, well, sorry to bother you or apologize for not answering this earlier. But I didn't need to see, I didn't need to say that. I can just say, thank you for your patience. Um, help me understand. So how can we be more affirmative in the language that we use is what this notion is all about. Mm -hmm. No need to apologize for things that are just, uh, you know, you're not trying to please everybody. You're just trying to make your point or say what's important to you. You don't need to have qualifying language. And the research on this subject is really fascinating. Um, and I'll just pose the question to you first. Who do you think apologizes more, women or men, in the research? 
like it's obvious you're going to say yeah, women apologize women. more. Yeah, absolutely. Right. But the interesting thing we found is there was a study that actually found that women and men apologize at the same rate when they think that they've committed an offense. And the difference is that women more often think that they have something to apologize for, mm -hmm. which was just a fascinating nuance in the psychology that leads to a different solution, uh, right? If you understand that the women are coming to this thinking that they have more to apologize for, whereas the men think that the threshold for apology is much higher. So mm. it's just a fascinating uh, research. It's amazing mm. to me, as you said that, because you know you think it's just about the statement of the words, but there's something very deep and underlying to that, right? Right. I have something to apologize for is how I heard you say that, Angelique. And interestingly enough, we touched on this in our first big group conversation with all six of the sisters. Um, is it more or less troubling in times of rapid organizational change and movement, right? So I can see this notion, and Mitzi, I love how you set it up. I feel like I have to apologize for this. When, you know, when, when you're trying to drive transformation forward or you're trying to deal as a disruption as a leader, male or female, or as somebody working for a male or female leader, does this slow us down, right? Does this ultimately affect an outcome? So Dawn, I don't know how you think about that, right? If everybody feels the need, we have to be apologizing to level set something, or does, is it getting in our way of being productive and driving the outcomes, particularly in times of rapid disruptive change? Well, I think it's an opportunity, as, as Mitzi said, to reframe our language and just catch ourselves. And I have to say, when this topic, the sisters talked about it and we worked on it for the book, I learned something. I found myself catching myself in just personal emails or whatever else, just starting with sorry or starting with, and, and in the end, it wasn't a huge offense I was doing. It was just, a, it was slightly late or something happening. And so I learned through it to just, as, as Mitzi said, just thanks for your patience. I'm on it. Here it is. Most people are so happy you're on it anytime and not use the word sorry, or I apologize all the time. And I want to share a brief story. When I uh, was made the uh, president of Pepsi-Cola North America, I had a staff of nine men and two women. And then over the course of the next year, uh, there were opportunities for growth for people on that team. They moved into other divisions. They moved into corporate. And then we then promoted the right people for the right job. And a year later, I had a staff that was 50% women and 50% men. And I, and I observed what the research said, which is far more often the women were coming in saying, I'm sorry, I apologize. This is a little late. Boy, you know, things happen. Shit happens in business shit happens in your life. And you're always constantly prioritizing and mm. figuring out. And in the workplace, you're expected to handle what's most critical and get on to other mm. things. And some things fall by the wayside. So what I learned is the men would more often come in and say, here's a problem, here's a solution. Or, you know, here it is, day late, but hey, it's great. Uh, not, I'm sorry, it's a day late. <laughs> day late, it's great where the women were more likely to apologize. And it just, the, the, the difference for me was, it was stronger, it was more proactive when you came at it from here it is. And you know, if it's a major offense, you, you do should say you're sorry, I apologize. But most things we're talking about are really small things and are in the course of life and just juggling in your life and at work. So, you know, I learn is language is important because they're little things, but as you point out, it's what's behind that that has the bigger implication over time. So and take the words, I'm sorry, and apologize out. 
And what do you think is behind it? Because if you look at men and women, and I, I love this, you know, topic because women, I think, are more sort of as as the sort of nurturers, I would say, are more focused on being cordial and keeping everyone happy. It's almost like you know our our innate nature as the as the in the family is you know to nurture the family. So I suppose it's. I don't know, is it because we don't want to upset people that we do that more where a man is more focused on the goal? So, you know, at the end of the day, like it wasn't done on time, but it still got it got done. Like I achieved my role, which is, you know, to lead where a woman is a little bit more. I need to bring people along the journey. What is behind that? That women innately do that more than men. So I. I don't know whether it's just all women or all men, but I certainly think the nurturing aspect is important. And the link for the two for me is, and I'll build on Patrick's point too, is words matter in the sense that, and I, I tease the sisters, I used to say, your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, your actions become your behavior, your behavior becomes your character, your character determines your destiny. And I move from apologizing to you might be less um, willing to take risk, and that impacts how you show up as a leader in the workplace, right? And so it all it all ties together in terms of if you start uh, apologizing and thinking you don't belong or you're less, then you're going to show up that way. Mm. And that's you know we want you we want people to be you know their best selves in the workplace. They want them to lead from a, um, a place of strength whether they're nurturers and there could be nurturers that are focused on the goal um, or they can be you know, totally goal focused. The key is to believe that you can and apologizing tends to undermine um, your confidence in yourself and your ability to do great work as a gatherer or as a one that's going after a goal. So Mitzi, I almost want to make you restate that little sequence that you just did before because I think it was so powerful. So could you do it again? So the saying goes, watch your thoughts because your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions, your behavior or patterns. Your behavior determines your character. Your character has a lot to do with your destiny. Mm. Awesome. And so, and I love that you threw in the word confidence towards the end of your thing. Is, is, is this notion of I'm sorry for apologizing, is, is a root in that a confidence thing? Are we, are we not, is gender bias preventing women from being more confident in their roles and towards the outcome. So is confidence a factor as you guys describe it in the book, or is it going a slightly different way? I'm just curious. So I do executive coaching. Um, and I think these micro mo moments like this tend to undermine a person's confidence. And I think that inhibits the people in their way to be the, in their attempt to be the best leader that they can be. So absolutely. A Angelique. Yeah, I was uh, going to say that I think that it starts potentially with this likability maze that many women find themselves navigating, which is, you know, that narrow window of, you know, being likable and appearing conf uh, competent. And I think it leads to that confidence question. Um, and it's so it starts out with the like, you know, I want to make sure you think I'm a nice person, which I don't think as many men feel is as much of a factor in how they're how they're presenting their work, they're much more factual about it, as Don was saying. Mm. And I and love I, Dawn's, I, I love Dawn, I love you. Sorry, carry on. No, no, I'm just going to add to what Angelique said that I 
it, it, it is a nature of women, I think, to try to um, make everyone feel good and acknowledge problems. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to take away any of people's personal nurturing and it can be very effective in team leadership. And it's obviously effective in your, in your life, but, but just, I think we can learn from big offenses versus everyday things. Mm. Be confident in the workplace. Work is the outcome, a goal achievement. The little stuff really doesn't matter in the end. It's, it's did the work get done. So women should not apologize. One, it makes them seem weaker. It makes you maybe diminishes your self-confidence, but unless it's an egregious mistake, instead focus on it's done. Here it is. It'll be done in a little while. I you know, encountered this. There's ways to describe what happens in corporate life and something got in the way and now the team is gonna be working on this without using the word, sorry, or I apologize. And it's something that people don't even realize they say a lot. So yeah. if I hear someone saying it, I try to pull them aside and say, you know, you don't need to apologize for that. Like we all are dealing with these things. Just, you know, I just, I, I give them the advice, like a pep talk, like you don't have to do that. Yeah. And I love the, the point you made earlier. It's the lens at which we look at something, right? You can look at something in front of you through multiple lenses. So instead of thinking, okay, I'm late with something, actually thinking, but hang on, something happened that was share price impacting that I had to move my focus to. So instead of thinking I'm late, you're actually thinking I diverted something huge over here. And actually this is coming in and you're almost lucky it's still coming in because it is, it's a prioritization thing. And actually being confident in the fact that you made those calls, it's not like you're just sitting around and not getting stuff done. You know, everyone's working hard and, and have confidence in the decisions you make along that journey. I, I love it. It's so insightful. So my couple of takeaways from that little chapter, uh, and, and I love the research that you guys do. So this is, you know, it's not just you guys made this stuff up, right? You, you, you actually self-identified with a lot of it through the course of your careers. You crystallized around some of these. You dug into what's really going on out there from a research standpoint. So I, I love, I think what, what you said, Angelique, um, I don't know, do men or women apologize more? Probably not, but I heard you say that maybe women feel there's more there's more circumstances where they should apologize. I'm very much hearing Don saying, "Get rid of the little stuff. Don't even sweat that." And and as the man in the room, I'm going to take it. I am way late on a deliverable for a client that I have to send out a note after this, and I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to say hey, it's a lesson for me from you guys. Even so, I think the way you guys are speaking to this, it's not just a you know women do this. It's an identifying that. As, as leaders and organizations, we need to kind of move past some of this stuff that we feel we need to apologize. Is that a fair way for me to kind of wrap this up? Because I'm, I'm sorry, we have to move on. But is that a fair way that we can wrap this up? Yes, yeah. that was good. Awesome. So I'm going to move to one of the other chapters, which has intrigued me. And I, I'm, I'm guessing what's behind it. But uh, it's a great idea, Greg. Tell us a little bit behind what... Uh, what inspired this chapter? So what inspires this chapter, when, when the band of sisters come together and talk about things that happen to them, there's a consistency around this one, which is uh, you know, in a room of people, uh, often, uh, not all the time, uh, increasingly less, women might be in the minority and women might, may have a different way of raising an idea, but have you been in a room where you, present an idea, make a suggestion, something that could be done better, an idea for innovation. And then the dialogue continues around the table 
And then one of your associates, not really intending to be mean or anything, restates your idea mm-hmm. without saying, I'm going to build on Dawn's idea, just to say, and all of a sudden everybody, that's a great idea. And you're sitting there saying, but I, I already said that. What was the problem when I said it? And it, it's a funny thing. It's happened to me so, so many times. And it, I, yeah, honestly, I don't let it bother me. I just it, can learn from it to maybe be more forceful and we'll talk about how to handle it. But it appears to be something that is one of the most significant that mm-hmm. so many women we speak to have experienced. And it's, it's in the end, it's about not feeling heard and your yeah, voice yeah. and your thoughts. The, it doesn't have to be necessarily it's a good or a bad idea. People wanna be heard and the room needs to get heard. And you know the purpose of um, having a lot of people around a room is actually the diversity of thinking and building on each other's ideas creates better outcomes. So we really said great idea, Greg, because it resonated with all of us that how often has it happened when your idea is mirrored by someone else whom we call Greg, and then that person gets all the accolades. And, and by the way, it doesn't always have to be a guy. It could be a woman that builds in the idea, but often I, I feel the room. I feel the need to ask, was there really a Greg for one of you? Like, is that a real name of a real person that we've now adopted? You don't have to say who it was, but was there a real Greg that was the example? We've changed the name to hide the <laughs> guilty. Okay. It would I, be a bit obvious if it was a Greg, right? I, 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 I want to be very clear. It wasn't someone named Greg. <laughs> we have many friends who are Greg, and they may read this or listen to the podcast and think, oh, no, did I do it? Was no, it me? It, uh, we protect <laughs> the I, I just felt the need to ask. So back to the notion that you guys do tons of research on this. What does the research say about this topic of, of the notion of a great idea, Greg? This being dismissive, maybe, if if. if if a woman brings up an idea in meeting, what does the research say? So, so the research actually backed this up. The Journal of Applied Psychology talked about how women were routine, routinely undercredited for their ideas. And then there was a, uh, this thing known as attributional rationalization that, that really showed when in a mixed gendered group was working together on a successful task, women were less likely to receive credit for their work. And so the research consistently showed this to be true as well. Then we took it a step further and said, well, is this happening to women in the younger generation from the hundreds of interviews we did? And they told us that this phenomenon is alive and well in the workplace today. And in fact, one person said, um, have you been listening in on our happy hours? This is all that we talk about. Yeah. Dawn, I'm going to ask you, you said in the book, um, there's ways that women can address this. Give our listeners a few tips on, so you're a woman, you're sitting in a room, you feel like this. What can you do to sort of get over this feeling or elevate yourself? I mean, I I don't even know where you would start with the direction. So so a, a couple of thoughts. Sometimes you have an idea or a comment that you make in a meeting and it's not that important. And you just make it and it's fine, you know, conversation continues on. But sometimes you have genuinely an idea that you think is really worthy of consideration. So I'm trying to differentiate participation in the meeting. And really, I have a great idea because in in meetings, I always take it, there's no bad ideas. And if you put forth a good idea. So if you're in one of those moments where I've got a a solution or I've got a great idea here, um, it needs to be presented with a little bit more force. 
So I, you know, interrupt uh, if you're not getting the table. And when you interrupt, pause, say, I really thought about this or um, say something that sets it up that it's a more important thought that you would normally say. Like, I think we have a huge opportunity here. We have a moment in time and then, and then go into your idea, but do something that breaks it just from being a comment, a throwaway amongst the conversation to a point where you really want to be heard. So that would be one piece of advice. The second piece of advice I'd give is if you threw out a comment or threw out an idea and it, and it continued and someone else, then you, when Greg restates your idea in a better way, you can pop in too and say, I love that, Greg. You know, like, like I was thinking, you know, when we this first came up, I like that and I'd build on it this way. So while you'd like Greg to compliment you and say, I love Dawn's idea, I'd like to build on it, you in fact can build on Greg. So those are my two pieces of advice. Differentiate between a comment and when you have a really big idea and don't be afraid to come back and build on your own idea if it's peace. Because in the end, it's about, first of all, you have a good idea and it should be worthy of discussion in the group and that's good for the business. But secondly, it's about, again, having confidence and and metering between when it's an average sort of just throwaway comment and when it's potentially a big idea. Angelique. Yeah, we like to to talk about the catchphrase amplify it. Like if you think to yourself, look for for those very important, those great ideas, the opportunity to amplify it. And if it's yourself, you can amplify it the way Don said, which is to say, Thanks for building on my idea, Greg. But we also like to coordinate amongst ourselves. One of the things that I used to do with a group of women that I, that I worked with was behind the scenes, we would proactively look and talk about how we were going to amplify each other so, because we knew that this happened very often. And we would think about before the meeting, during the meeting, and after the meeting. Before the meeting are all the right women in the room. That was sort of an, uh, an easy one. During the meeting, are we amplifying each other? Are we making sure that if someone's idea gets sort of stolen, um, can we say, hey, that's similar to what Tiffany just said, you know, and we can amplify it. And then after the meeting, when the notes go around and the women are putting out their ideas that we're looking for the opportunity to amplify it. So we yeah. would tell ourselves where are the opportunities to amplify the women's ideas. And we touched on this with, with the other half of the sisters earlier, which is the importance of the building the relationships at the pre-meeting, before a meeting, because, you know, prepare, prepare, prepare for anything, a presentation, a discussion, you, no one ever walks into a meeting without preparing. Why don't we do that in relationships enough? And that is women doing that with the men. Like, have we all aligned? Have you had your one-on-one -on -one meetings before? So that by the time you get into the meeting, um, you're actually prepared and you're further on that journey. But what, we, what women forget, which I love, is why don't we do that as women? Why, you tend to do that, like in my, I would do that with a lot of the men that I work with, probably because there weren't any other women. But, um, you, know, it, it, you know, maybe I, I'm thinking now, like if I had to bring in maybe a slightly more junior woman with me into a meeting, how encouraging would that be to say, listen, I've got your back here. I see you, we're together in this meeting, like the pre- discussion is important at any relational level, right? You know, the other thing, I have a couple of comments, Roz, but I think particularly, you know, 
we live in a very diverse society and there's more and more diversity. Women have to stick together and it's yeah. not, you know, uh, of all color, race, background, we can, we can form our own band, if you will. You can yeah. form your own band. We talk about this in the book and you can help yourself. But, you know, you <laughs> talked with the other sisters about the pre-meetings. Yeah, I yeah. want to talk a little bit about the post-meeting because I think what often happens is, it certainly happened to me, it happened to me quite a bit at the NFL. You have a discussion around a table, you threw out an idea, it didn't get any reaction, maybe it got built on, maybe it didn't. And then after the meeting, you're walking out and, and an associate will come over and say, that was a great idea, Dawn, or, you know, I, I really like that. Now the meeting's over. The opportunity mm. for that idea to actually move forward requires me to then go to every person in that room and try to, you know, reignite it or go to the boss and talk about it. It's just wasted time. Yeah. So it's an opportunity when somebody does after the meeting, say it was a great idea. You know, what my advice to that witness, if you will, is speak up in the meeting, right? It, it benefits everyone that if someone said something interesting, it gets amplified, amplify it right then and there because afterwards, really hard to amplify it. Yeah. Okay. I, I'd, love to, I'd love to flip this just a little bit, right? Because I, I, I love the passion that you guys speak about um, amplifying the voice of women and making sure it's happened. But let's think about the leader in the room. And I, I guess I guess we don't care if it's a, if it's a male or female leader. Um, I, I would think as the leader in those kinds of environments, whether it's a single meeting or it's a project team, um, the leader wants the best result and outcome, right? What should a leader be doing to make sure that great idea, Greg, doesn't limit the outcome? Right, like what should a leader what should a leader have on their leader checklist, if you will? And Mitzi, maybe I'll come to you first because I, you know, I, you mentioned your executive coaching experience. What should a leader have to say? Hey, I've got to be on the watch out for the interaction among my team about great idea, Greg, and I've got to make sure that I'm doing overt things to make sure that's not holding us back as a team from the outcome we want. So, Mitzi, maybe maybe I'll go yeah, with I you and we'll do a quick round there's robin. A, there's, a, there's a couple things. One, make sure that the people in the room, their voices are heard. So if you're the leader and you're not hearing from everybody, how can you make sure that you find a way to draw each person into the conversation, particularly the women or those that are that, that don't have a voice or not using their voice? And then to Don's point, how can you amplify things that are, are said by women um, that are said, um, how, how do you draw people out is I guess right. the big thing, amplifying that. And ways to do that, you know, I think, Susan had something she wanted to say. Um, Laura, what do you think? Uh, building on Sally's idea. So there's, those are proactively, to your point, I think it's important that leaders are proactive in drawing voices of women and those that, that, that aren't using their voice. Because that builds confidence, the practice of repetition, repetition, repetition. And, as, well. and as the leader, you should listen. And if you mm -hmm. hear that someone stepped on somebody else, ask them to, you know, what, what were you trying to say? And if you do hear someone restate someone else's idea, you can acknowledge it right then and there. You fix yeah. the problem. You said, yeah. you know, I really like that, Greg. Dawn mentioned that as well. Let's talk about that as a group. It just takes something that simple and Dawn feels included. Yeah. And I think this comes back to you don't just show up to a meeting, right? It's all preparation. Like as a leader, before you go into the meeting, it's okay. You need to regroup before you go into any meeting, which is we've got these topics to discuss. I need to make sure I'm watching the whole team. You know, you go in with a game plan. Anything unprepared is never successful. So as a leader, 
going in going what are my three or four you know we need results i need to make sure the team this you know it's 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 those few minutes before the meeting just to prepare that i have found and the more senior i get the more i've got to do it is is my thinking clear about what i want to get out of the meeting the role i'm going to play you can't just arrive and let it fly it's never going to be a successful outcome yeah and it's sort of like really leaning into that intentionality as a leader to be observing the dynamics of the team. And I think a lot of leaders maybe default to saying, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the ideas, I'm looking to solve whatever the meeting is about, I'm looking for the solutions. But as a leader, if you're actually paying more attention to the dynamics of the team in addition mm-hmm. to that, and making sure you're getting all the ideas, because that's, that's part of your mm-hmm. job as a leader. Love it. So to wrap, to wrap up that, moment uh, and chapter, um, really important to kind of as a leader to be able to be recognizing things that are going on, making sure you're tracking through the groups. It's almost to me, uh, I teach facilitation uh, at, at times in my career. It's like, how do you facilitate appropriately as a leader? And I actually firmly believe that leaders actually don't get trained in facilitation enough because this is a dynamic that you would do in any group that you were facilitating. So I love that. And I also want to make a pointed point. There is not a specific Greg, right? So I think you guys said very clearly, Greg's out there listening or reading the book. It's not about you. Um, so I wanted to make sure we, we got that on the table. I want to touch on the last one that we kind of wanted to talk about in this particular one, which is uh, the, the moment about not just mentors get sponsors. Who wants to tell us a little bit of the backstory of that one? I'll jump in on this one. And I have to say, this is possibly my most favorite chapter and the one that I wish I could go back and give to my 25-year-old self to read, Mm. (laughs) as I set out. So uh, Not Just Mentors Get Sponsors really anchors on the idea that there's a lot of discussion about mentors out there, and there's not enough distinction between the difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And the difference can be summed up in one word power. It's who has the power in the room when you're not there to be pulling you up, to be advocating for you, to be making things happen for you. And um, the research is actually pretty clear on this, that women are not often aware of the importance of those power structures. And as they look for mentors, which is what they think they need, they're often looking to other women where they think they're going to have a a good, um, easy relationship, but they're not really thinking about the power structures. And just based on the numbers, you know, very often um, women are not in those positions of power to help pull you up. So you have to be thinking about that. And the other factor that that is uh, true in the research is that women are less comfortable with self-promotion self-promotion. And therefore, um, they may be hoping that their work speaks for themselves and they're not thinking about how they get their work noticed um, in order to get a sponsor. So this is, this is a really important career journey chapter about how to be understanding those dynamics. Um, and it really speaks to that point that um, women are the research says that women are over-mentored and under-sponsored. So how do we change that? And how would a woman go around, and I'm talking practically about getting a sponsor, because obviously, you know, in my experience, a sponsor is based on relationship and that takes investment because you can't just go to someone and say, will you be my sponsor? Because in the meeting, the guy or whoever it is, is going to feel 
stupid just saying oh and Roz this and Roz that and she's not in the meeting you know so the sponsor in my experience really needs to be based on a deep relationship which is you know how do I actually spend individual time with that person so that they really know your value you're not just asking them to give you value correct I mean what are the practical tips you would give our listeners in how to develop a relationship with a sponsor so well said and well asked Roz um and again it I think the nature of mentorship is uh, mentors tend to be people that are, are at your level, maybe are in another department or people that offer to be mentors kind of naturally. And people say, oh, you want a mentor? If anyone assigns you a mentor, and we're now gonna talk about sponsors or assigns you a sponsor, it's unlikely to be effective because there needs to be a relationship. There needs to be a interest both ways that you, the person that wants to be sponsored, uh, wants that person to sponsor you and vice versa. So it does take investment, but, but mentors are easier to find than sponsors because mm -hmm. sponsors are people who have more power and who are in the room, who will be mm -hmm. in that room when the decision is made, whether you are offered that next position or not. And you want that level of seniority and Generally, you don't have a personally friendly relationship with that sponsor who's more senior than you. So how do you, you do that? Which is really your question you're getting at. So after a lot of conversation, my recommendation would be you, you analyze who in the organization do you think would be a good sponsor for you. And then as you think about those people, you think, who have I had an interaction with or who might I have an interaction with? So if someone who's in that power group that you'd love to sponsor you says something good to you about a project or a work, makes a comment, you need to follow up with that person and say, I really appreciated that. Could I get some time to talk more about that? Or could I get your advice on something? So when there's an initiation from someone who you think could be a sponsor, you can build on it. And, and then you'll feel if they make time for you, then that's a signal that they would like to be a sponsor. And you're not overtly asking them, will you sponsor me? You're trying yeah. to develop, as you say, a relationship with someone who's in that position. And typically, you know, depending on the department of your work, if you work in sales, the head of sales would be great to have as your sponsor. And everyone in sales wants that person to be their sponsor. But conceivably, there's people in who run marketing or there's people that run supply chain who are working, you're working with on projects and they might really connect with you. They could equally be a good sponsor for you, even if they're not directly in your department because they are making those decisions around transfer of talent and where opportunities happen. And you'd like to not be viewed singularly in the organization in just one line and one functionality. You'd like to be viewed as a leader. And therefore you'd like to get sponsors across the organization. But to your point, Roz, it takes thoughtful strategic identification of who you'd like to be a sponsor. Mm. And then it takes real initiation and looking for that opening and that opportunity to develop that relationship. Yeah, exactly. And I go back to the point, nothing just happens, right? You've got to prepare, you've got to invest, you've got to take the time. And I think, you know, the, the sponsor, when I, 
again, it's based on authentic relationship, right? It's not just going up to someone, tagging them. It's actually, is this an authentic bond? So I just want to, as we go through this, we could talk for hours. And I, as, as you always know, we wish these conversations are longer. Um, but there's a chapter in your book, and I know a lot of women are very, um, this is close to their heart because it's quite an annoying thing in the in the workplace. And it, it gets our back up more than anything else, which is, she's too emotional. That's one of your chapters. Um, <clears throat> and I just want to, you guys have thoughts on what you call emotions. So it's not just, you know, at face value, she's too emotional, but talk to us a little bit about your thoughts around this word emotions. So, you know, the, the too emotional language for us, it's a red flag. When we hear someone saying that women are too emotional or too aggressive or not assertive enough or too angry or too cold. Um, particularly, you know, for women of color, I think it's a big red flag too. When, in, when you hear too in front of anything, it signals there's a, just a narrow range, mm -hmm. narrow range for women in the workplace. We need to expand that range uh, of acceptable behavior uh, in the workplace for women. And so we talk about ways to handle that, but the, the, the heart of it is, the issue is, when you have two, it's a red flag. We have to broaden, broaden the, the range of acceptable behaviors for women. Yeah, we, we talk about this as lazy language. Um, whenever you're talking about something that is a, a personal uh, statement as opposed to a performance uh, metric, it's got to be a red flag. Yeah. And you know, for all the leaders and witnesses out there, hearing anything like this, she's too blank, and especially she's too emotional, like call it out because that is not about performance. That's about that that narrow window of acceptable uh, presentation. Um, and for for me, I, I like to think of there's there's also a reframing of it as, passion when appropriate, like obviously you want to make sure that you're not, you know, as an individual, uh, unexpectedly um, uh, expressive, but when it's warranted and if it's understood as this is my passion speaking, you know, that's one way to make sure that it's not misunderstood as, as something else. Yeah. And to our guys out there, to our guys out there, I don't know if it's the DNA of a, of a female, but whenever you say you are two, understand you're not going to get a good response at the end of the sentence. <laughs> and ask yourself, maybe as the boss, would you say that to a guy? Would you yeah. be, you know, you're, you're, you're too aggressive, you're too emotional, uh, you're too cold. Uh, and if, if you would say it to either a woman or a man, I would say stop. Mm -hmm. Not only is it lazy language, it's personality language. Mm -hmm. It's attacking somebody on personality traits as opposed to what they do in the workplace. And so to, to, to Angelique's point of, uh, you know, people who the word you're passionate about this project is a, is a positive. You're emotional about this project is a negative and a personal attack. So choose the language carefully. Don't be lazy. And the other, the other thing I would want to say is I have had people that are passionate all the time and highly exuberant. And it does, if it doesn't get in the way of the work and the outcome, no problem. That's you. Bring your whole self to work. If it gets in the way of team dynamics or getting something done, then it needs to be addressed. But it should not be addressed as 
you're too emotional. It should be addressed as your, your passion is you're is so excited about everything that it helps. It doesn't help your team because they don't know which of your, of the ideas are more important than others. So a suggestion I sometimes make to people who are very passionate is try to be sort of, you know, sort of a steady state so that when you do up your passion, you're doing it for purpose. You're doing it to get more noticed, to make a point that that idea is even better. That's the one you want to run with. And, um, but you've got to do it in an authentic way. You got to be true to people. And when you start attacking how they act, how they are, what their personality traits are, who's going to feel good about going to work when you can't bring it be yourself and yeah, you're being asked yeah. to be different than yourself. Say, don't, don't over celebrate a win and don't uh, pout too much after a loss. Right. So have mm -hmm. that, have that balance. There's so many rich tips in this conversation so far, and I hate to end it, um, but we're going to have to. Um, but it's like, I want to come back to you really quick because I want people to really get in their heads what's inside the book. You, you, you guys used the term a couple of times in our conversation of we talk to leaders, we talk to witnesses instead of talk. Just give us kind of the quick snapshot of those couple of views, and then we can kind of close out. But I think it's really important for people to get their heads around how you framing up different roles and different personas, if you will, in the book. So give a quick preview of what those are. Yeah, we, we talk about three audiences that we would like to be talking to. And one is the women themselves directly. Um, so these are women who are uh, new leaders who are starting to realize that there's some dynamics that they're, they're uh, not totally understanding. And there's a lot of practical tips for when it's you, how to, how to handle it and to not feel alone, as uh, Roz said in the beginning. The second audience is the boss, the leaders, and these are men and women. And this is a really, really important audience. So we're really hoping that uh, both men and women as leaders are paying attention to these little things that add up to culture. Um, because everyone is focused on culture now. We know it's such a critical aspect of retaining um, and attracting diverse talent. Uh, so pay attention to these little things because they matter. And then that last group is probably the biggest, which is the witnesses. And again, men and women in the room and not necessarily in a position of power, but they probably have more power than they know if they start paying attention and saying, I wanna build myself up as an inclusive partner and ultimately an inclusive leader, this is the path. Um, and these are the ways that you can be more intentional about, uh, about that. Such a great structure for people to take out of the book to really kind of understand the moments, understand their role in the moments and that kind of thing. So thank you for sharing that clarity. I think it's going to help our listeners a lot. What a great discussion, Roz. We touched on a whole lot of things. Um, I know we're going to get one more chance to talk to the to the band of sisters on this. So I'll thank you on our behalf as Roz closes. Thank you for spending a little more time with us and our listeners. Yes, and I'm going to wrap up with where I started is that, you know, the more we have these discussions, the more I love the concept of the power of open and authentic discussion, which is, you guys use the phrase, bring your whole self to a conversation, no one's going to judge you, we all have things we worry about, or we're insecure about, but actually the power in this discussion is just talking about it openly, in, in an authentic way. Um, and I just, you know, thank you guys for taking the time to write the book, because as much as we talk about it, there actually isn't a huge amount of literature out there that actually gives you the practical handholding tips, which is why we keep asking you ladies, okay, we've, we've identified a problem that you have in the book, but how can someone actually address it? And I think that's what's so 
um, valuable about the work that that you guys have been doing. It's bringing that conversation to the table with you know practical uh, uh, tips and, and advice on how both men and women, and again, this is not a female thing. It's not a female discussion. It's not a male discussion. It's actually as a group, you know, how do we all come together and, and get over these little bumps that, that can create big problems if not spoken about. So ladies, thank you very much. And I'm looking forward to our next session with you. Um, so to our listeners, stay tuned. Um, and just a quick uh, recap, the book drops in September this year, correct? Um, so yeah. where can our listeners go to watch for it or find, you know, make sure in September they can, they can get it? Thebandofsisters.com. We have our website. All the information is there and we will keep it updated. And if you want to contact us, you can do it through, through the website. Great. Looking forward to, to having you ladies back for our last session. Thank you very much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Two, three.